0: Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code FIRSTLINK, all caps, for your exclusive 10% discount.
1: Welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie cowper
0: And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Loud as a Whisper. This episode was written by Jacqueline Zambrano and directed by Larry Shaw. It first aired on January 7th, 1989.
1: For today's check-in, let's talk about interdependence.
0: I depend on you, Ruthie. (laughs) I'm interdependent with you for this podcast. For
1: sure. Yeah. Same. I I usually watch episodes like a, a few times before we record, and Early on in my rewatching of this episode, I felt a little uncomfortable with just how dependent the character Reva is on his chorus, on these three other people. I had to sort of just kind of take a step back and push myself on that to interrogate that a little bit about why I felt so uncomfortable. I think that the discomfort comes from an idea that independence is good independence is superior to dependence and i think that that idea comes from a very capitalist and probably colonial way of thinking that we each of us is responsible to and for ourselves
0: yeah and i wonder about this a lot when it comes to responses to the pandemic oh yeah because if there's one thing that it demonstrated is how interdependent we are on the various levels of society that I think sometimes we don't want to think we are interdependent with or on. For sure. There is going to be paper after paper after paper published about society's response to the pandemic. But in kind of a simplistic overview for discussion's sake, I felt like you could kind of draw these groupings or these kind of divisions among people who wanted to embrace that interdependence and others that wanted to like rail against it like it's in in some like my wearing a mask which i've continued to do even though mask mandates have now dropped in british columbia yeah that was my way to try to acknowledge my my interdependence and interconnection with society all levels of society and that's an uncomfortable thing almost like a a reluctance to recognize the fact that we are we are connected to one another that the point of society is to sort of worshiped independence that sense of individuality but the, the point is that like society undoes itself at that point like if we think the point of society is then to make a whole bunch of individuals well then there's no society anymore like it doesn't work that way I think maybe in some ways people's discomfort to even like wearing a mask is a refusal to to say like, no, I'm not connected to any of you. I'm not responsible to any of you. I wonder if that's what we've confused freedom for. like Freedom is like a lack of responsibility to anybody. Mm. But that's, that's not how freedom works. It's because of our collective connection and interdependence that we generate freedom to overcome challenges and make sure that we're secure and safe and... And so that we can go on to then celebrate freedom. Otherwise, freedom is like, what, just you in the forest by yourself? Like, you can't, that's yeah, not freedom necessarily is total freedom solitude, either. Like. Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. Like, that also doesn't work. I think that's one of the reasons why I loved Star Trek so much. Because for for me, the exercise of freedom was to explore both myself and the universe be the best self I could be in that exploration. And society in Star Trek is very interdependent. Like they show that even like you're the whole crew is an independent or an interdependent entity on a starship.
1: Last season they lost Tasha Yar and, you know, they felt that loss because they all depend on each other. And, and that'll come up later as well. Like when, when a character is missing or is, incapacitated in some way that's a loss that's felt by the rest of the crew. It actually reminds me of something I read. I think the book was Things No One Will Tell Fat Girls by Jess Baker. I think it was okay. that. But uh the the idea was that everybody should have at least five things that they can do when things are rough. The metaphor that the author used was a stool that if you have a stool with five legs, then you can lose a couple of those legs and still be stable. Okay. If you have a three-legged stool, then you lose, if you lose one of those legs, the stool's not going to stay up. If you have a two-legged stool, it's not that stable to begin with. And if you lose one, it's really not stable. And if you have a one-legged stool, then you're really in trouble. But if you've right. got like a five-legged stool, then you'll feel the loss of one of those legs, but you can withstand it. And I think that a, a society that, Uh, values, interdependence is a little bit like that because you've got like, yes, everyone on the crew is important. Everyone contributes. The loss of any one member is felt, but also together they all make a, a really strong network. When they lose one person, it's not like, oh, well now we're hopeless because that one person was the only one person we could, any of us could depend on to do Something really important.
0: I sometimes feel that there is an almost toxic side to the promotion of the idea of the nuclear family. Oh, yeah. I I think it's because we want to accept that maybe there is an interdependence to us, but it has to be therefore limited to this one group of people. Everyone outside of that is no longer me and mine. And I'm not responsible to them anymore. And I used to hear this a lot growing up. It was like, there are only problems in the world because people don't take care of their own families.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And if people just took care of their own families, there would be no social problems. Wow. Anyone else that I encounter that might be suffering or in pain, they're not my family. They are the responsibility of their own family. And so we don't need to care for them anymore. Right. And I think that still, like, appears in politics a lot. That the breakdown of the nuclear family is therefore the breakdown of society as a whole. Yeah. And that we don't want interdependence to leak out of the family. It should just stay within, and then we take care of it, as if interdependence needs to be contained right. in a way, then to the family. And one of the other reasons why I love Star Trek so much is it showed that anyone could be your family. Sure. Yes, you do have family, but you also choose family. And that society as a whole, the Federation, can be, like, a giant family in its most ideal form.
1: Right. And that also, I think, gets into the the idea of someone being a burden on society. Yes. Like, it's... Yes. I mean, there is definitely still a stigma around being a burden on your family, but then once you become a burden outside of your family, and I want to say, I want to be really clear, that's not, I don't think any person... Is a burden on society, except perhaps billionaires. <laughs> Bill- billionaires are a real burden on society because they take so much money away that could be used for public good. Right. I also want to be really clear that we all depend on society. Like, you know, out- I mean, I-, I-, I do depend on my family in many ways. And I depend on, you know, the people who work in grocery stores and the people yep. who deliver my food when I'm, you know, way too tired to cook. And I depend. Pick up
0: trash and. Yeah. And I depend on the, the people who. Make the world work.
1: Yeah. Who built the, the roads and the sidewalks and who maintain them. I depend on the people who collect garbage. And, you know, like I, I depend on so many people. So everyone depends on social services like everyone does that's not a burden
0: and yet like you said I also still find it hard anytime that I think or I'm interpreting that I might have become a burden to somebody
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: at all like you know and that I have to feel my dependence on another person and so how do we deal with that
1: I mean it it is hard because it's systemic right and as and as, as with any systemic problem there aren't going to be just individual solutions. We can work to resist that mentality that we should all be independent, that independence is the sort of gold star that we all want to achieve. We can resist that, but we're always fighting an uphill battle because the way that society is structured, it, it has to be resistance, right? It's not, it's not just accepted. And, but I do think that pushing against it is important And I think like to bring it back to this episode in my discomfort in realizing that no person is entirely independent. Thinking about that really intentionally for myself, I then became a lot more comfortable with this episode and with Riva's dependence on his chorus and that that's an okay thing. And there were times when I thought, like, wow, he's so dependent on them if when, when they are taken from him, he's really lost. But then I sort of had to think like, OK, but, it, you know, if I was left totally alone or if people the people who are really important to me were taken from me, I would also be really lost. And that's OK. That's perhaps a good thing that I don't feel so independent that I can just be like, oh, yeah, no, it's OK if my friends and family are, are taken from me. That's, no, I have those connections are strong and they're real and they're important to me. And I would feel them very deeply if they were broken.
0: I wish that we'd all collectively feel that way because otherwise it's, there's like, there is so much talent rather than burden. There's, there's talent and ability that's just left on the table that we're not utilizing anytime anyone falls through the cracks. And I say cracks as if that's like a flaw In the system, but I think our system is designed intentionally to keep some people down.
1: Right. Yeah. It was. It was built that. way It's built
0: that way. It's not so. To say crack is to say that is to insinuate that like something wrong has happened. But I I think poverty poverty is is an intention of the system. Right. I think part of the argument is that we're not interdependent, and and that's why we don't need to fix that.
1: Right. Because if we could all take care of ourselves, and you know, as the saying goes, pull ourselves up. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Pull ourselves
0: up by our bootstraps. If
1: we if we all did that, then those cracks wouldn't be a problem.
0: That's right. Those cracks. But physics physics tells us that that is impossible. You can't actually pull yourself up by your bootstraps.
1: No, you can't because <laughs> because you are one one being one mass.
0: That's right, and apparently the etymology of that of that saying is to make that point. It, the point is that people can't pull themselves up by their own. That bootstraps. it's an impossible That is actually thing. impossible to think to do. There
1: are so many sayings like that where it's like it's been t- just totally twisted to mean the exact opposite yep. of what it meant. Like the idea, you know, the saying uh, blood is thicker than water. The blood of the coven is thicker than the water of the womb. So basically the connections that we make with people are stronger than our than than the connections that we get just by virtue of being born into a family right so blood right. is thicker than water it, again has the opposite meaning from how it is now
0: yeah kind of like the bad apples thing yes where it's like oh don't let a few bad or like the, the saying is one bad apple could spoil the badge or boil the bunch or whatever you so. know
1: i had i bought a little while ago a bag of apples and there was like one or two that were bad and the rest of them smelled like apple cider vinegar <laughs>
0: I mean that's yeah. Depending on what you want to use one them or for, two that's bad apples, <laughs> like,
1: Spoiled the whole bag. Uh,
0: yep, exactly. Just want to note. So we, Ruthie, you and I had a conversation before this episode, yeah. noting that there there is a war. There there are themes of war and conflict in this episode. Yes, I think that you were you were very right to say that to to honor what we think. Seems to be the main point of this episode is not conflict, but is to talk about interdependence and disability. Right. But we we felt remiss to say that, to not mention that there is a war on right now. Yeah. After we'd finished Outrageous Okona, I was thinking about the fact we were talking about how to touch on the war during that episode. And then realized we're talking about comedians. And there's a comedian literally who's at the head of defense of one of these nations right Mm -hmm. now. I don't know if I personally have a lot more to add. Yeah. Look, I was listening to a podcast that a friend of mine, who's very intelligent and smart and studies political science, had posted uh, a few weeks back, and it uh, it it tries to go over and break down from an expert in the region. It tries, and who's also a, a Russian activist who's obviously against the war, but they start back centuries ago in history. And start going forward. Um, so I'm still, wake- I'm still working my way through it. The only thing I can say, which is probably everyone else has already said, is that that the war is awful. I don't understand what value it is to have invaded. And I'm very worried about the treatment of people and also the nuclear facilities that are there. And so I'm trying to learn as quickly or as much as I can. But I don't really think that I have the expertise to comment on it more than that at, at this time.
1: Uh, same. Same. We you know, things might come up in this episode that we might connect to the invasion of Ukraine by Russian forces. But it, yeah, I, I feel very similar that I don't have so much to add that we should focus on that. So,
0: yeah, but we wanted to let everyone know that, like we know this is happening, and we often will talk about contemporary issues, yeah, through the series and and so we just wanted everyone to know that we we have been thinking about this mm-hmm. and it's awful. and so, thanks for being in the midst of a very difficult world the last couple years yeah the audience out there you are all when we hear from you it is great so you know message us from time to time if you're listening to us yeah let us know you know you can reach us on social media but there's also of course our
1: our email firstlinkpod at gmail.com
0: and we check those things so uh, so let us know yeah because we want to know and it's a big hug and that's you know it helps a lot
1: so what happens should we end the episode
0: Let's do it. In this episode, the Enterprise transports a deaf mediator to negotiate the end of a civil war on Soleus V. Yeah.
1: Perhaps we should also mention this episode looks at disability and ableism. Neither of us is deaf, so we're not going to comment too much on that. The Enterprise is on its way to pick up this very famous mediator to negotiate the end of a centuries-old war, and the Enterprise's job is transportation only they are not there to be involved in the conflict
0: and there's this weird scene between Picard and Riker in the ready room <laughs> where Picard is looking at a model of a planet there's like this three like I was from an astrophysical point of view because I am an astronomy geek yeah. and nerd and that's part of my job yeah I was looking at this I was like why don't we use cool graphics like this more because they're neat but he's looking at this planet that's in orbit around the solar system that is impossible. Like, it, the orbit is highly eccentric, and you can see that it looks strange and weird. Yeah. I was grasping at this, thinking that it was going to be some visual metaphor of the episode.
1: Nothing to do with it. I don't think it
0: has anything, unless I'm missing it, I don't think it has anything to do. With it.
1: If you're missing it, I'm missing it, too, because Riker comes in, he's like, oh, yeah, look at that. And he's like, "He's like, oh, how is that possible? And Riker, and Picard's like, I, I don't have a clue. Anyway, what what are you here for? And Riker's like, oh, you know, just the mission that we're on
0: (laughs) yeah i I guess you're not prepping for it all or trying to learn the background of this conflict you're just like looking at the weird astrophysical nature of the solar system
1: there you have arrived in the remotis system Picard and Troy and Worf are going to go down to to meet with this mediator. There's a nice scene in the turbo lift, I think, where Riker is a little bit worried about Picard leading the away team. And we know from the first episode that this is like a
0: an ongoing thing. Yeah, this is
1: important to Riker that he does not let his captain go on an away mission when he is the first officer. Until
0: Riker gets more taste of command. Yeah, And then he seems to not worry about it anymore, which I think is self-serving because he's like, well, if Picard gets killed, I get promoted. It's fine. <laughs> That's what I, that's my I interpretation of that. <laughs> yeah, but
1: so Picard says that it's ceremonial; it's not an away mission, and it would be rude for the captain not to to show up. And there's some exposition about what a great mediator uh, Riva is in the transporter room. There is really, I thought, a really interesting bit between Troy and Worf because Troy consents. That Worf is having strong feelings. So she wants to know if he's expecting some conflict. He seems a little uncomfortable, but she kind of forces him to explain. And Picard and Riker, too, are kind of like, well, what's the problem? Why are you having these feelings? And that's a little invasive, I feel.
0: Yes. I think, to the defense of Troy, I feel like this is kind of a sloppy way of of writing tension into a scene. Mm -hmm. Where we could just, like, kind of cheat by having Troy just read someone's mind yeah and I think knowing Troy as a character mm. and the way we've seen her with people is that she would actually be far more pe- sensitive to people's boundaries yeah I think.
1: Yeah, than that. I mean, but, think about yeah. how her mother behaves. Yeah,
0: it, that, it makes her upset. Although sometimes people do emulate parental <laughs> behavior. That's even true, when but it bothers Troy them, is so. not a
1: character who usually does that, I don't No, think. no, no. It's a little weird, like, that That Worf can't have these private feelings.
0: Yeah, you think that that would be upsetting, especially for someone who's private as Worf is.
1: But what it turns out is that this is a way of setting up that Reva is actually such a good negotiator that he negotiated some of the treaties between the Klingons and the Federation. And Worf says before him, there was no Klingon word for peacemaker.
0: Yeah, and he says it with some like disdain. He's like, (laughs) peacemaker.
1: Well, it still feels, I guess, pretty foreign to him. So he's feeling uneasy because this person had a very strong effect on his life. Picard reiterates that this is just a ceremonial greeting. They beam down to this room with marble sculptures and just a lot of art and there are no people. And then this, I feel like I've never seen this in Star Trek up until this point. There's just a very weird fade to black before the credits.
0: Sometimes these commercial breaks or before the intro are really well done in TNG. Usually and sometimes they're better they're done like, than this. <laughs> usually they're better done than this. There are a few episodes where even up until the intro, you still don't know what the episode is actually about. Yeah. And in this one, it's kind of like a, almost like a false tension that's just added here they just look around and then it goes fade to black
1: Faith, it's weird anyway after the intro they're still on the surface they haven't seen anyone and then a person walks in and he sort of walks up to each of them and and looks at them and troy says "Riva," and he nods
0: yeah reva stands on this platform between two pillars and then he's joined By three other people. They're all dressed in white.
1: They're all dressed like ancient Greek or Roman statues, I
0: think. Yeah, very kind of flowing, like, robes and stuff. Yeah. And one of the speakers looks at Troy and states, oh, you're empathic. But this isn't Riva speaking. And Riva approaches her. And the speaker behind one of the three continues speaking, saying that although she could already sense how he feels about her, he wants to put into words that he is looking forward to getting to know her on this journey. So he is... He is empathically connected to another empath.
1: Troy says that she's flattered and then Picard kind of makes a, a comment just to uh, just to Troy and Worf that there are aspects of Riva that they weren't informed of. Which is interesting because, like, he's such a prominent mediator that you'd think... That that
0: was pretty common.
1: Yeah, you'd think yeah. this might have come up. And basically what... What's happened? So when Riva speaks, and I think from now on we'll kind of say this, is Riva speaking, um, but he Mm -hmm. speaks through his chorus. So he explains that he is deaf, so he does not speak and he does not hear. He reads lips. His chorus translates, so these three people, they translate his thoughts as well as his emotional intent. Actually, so interestingly, some of the things that I've seen of coverage of things happening in, in Ukraine when you hear like the translation and it just feels quite flat compared to the actual speech. And so it's, this is not that, right? Because these people are connected uh, telepathically. So they are able to, to communicate not just the words that Riva would say, but the emotion behind them. So the chorus has three aspects. So there's the scholar, which represents intellect and speaks on matters of Judgment and philosophy and logic, and that that person is also the dreamer, who looks for beauty beyond the truth and loves art. And then that aspect of the chorus starts to ramble on and is cut off by the warrior. Yeah,
0: the warrior represents passion and libido and romance. Yeah, and the warrior is the perfect line that never wavers. I thought it was interesting though that they combine the things that almost would seem dichotomous in the scholar, like the logic and the philosophy, but also the dreamer. Who longs for beauty. Like in a Vulcan way, they would always say that that, those are like two different things.
1: Yeah, I I liked that because I think that... So something that I have thought of and, you know, something that often is brought up to me is the fact that I studied in university, both English and math. And people uh, would say like, oh, that's weird. Those things are both like those things are so different from each other. And, you know, and, and then I would also talk about how I think math is an important thing to teach because it teaches people how to reason logically, and I think that's important for making the world a better place, someone said to me that they disagreed with that because they thought that, you know, if we only see the world through a logical lens, then that takes out the sort of the human aspect. Right. I disagree because I think that it is actually not logical at all to ignore emotion.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I think that, that, that thinking about how people feel and, you know, thinking about people's hopes and aspirations and looking for beauty, I think it's perfectly logical. See, those are things that that are important to us.
0: The third of the people is then harmony, which, right, because they're always kind of talking about a harmony or describing a harmony. Yeah. And they say harmony binds all the others together. So harmony, wisdom, and balance. So it's through these three individuals are basically channeling Riva's judgment, philosophy, logic, dreams, passion, libido, romance, Harmony, wisdom, all through these three people. And so each one of them will – it's like switching channels depending Mm -hmm. on what part of him is speaking. These three individuals are speaking uh, telepathically. They're speaking on his behalf. Yeah. And so Picard wants to communicate with Riva. So he starts talking to one of the interpreters. Like he's looking – like eye contact with the interpreter and Reva actually walks right in front of him and he's like, no, speak to me. Speak to me. I'm the one who is communicating. So Picard apologizes.
1: Which is how you speak when there's an interpreter. You talk to the person right, who's speaking. You don't talk to the, you know, you don't say, like, oh, well, tell him that. Blah, blah, blah. Right,
0: yeah. It's yeah. They're, it's, they're not like, it's not a go-between. No. They they are speaking on the person's behalf. So you you communicate with that person. And so I thought it was I thought it was great that they actually left that in there to make that point yeah. for that character. And I wonder if Elements like that are included because in your research, as you as you discovered, yeah. the actor who plays Riva, yeah.
1: Howie Sego is his name, and
0: howie Howie Sego is actually deaf.
1: He is deaf. and he actually petitioned for for there to be this kind of episode that for for there to be an episode about a deaf with a deaf character in in Tng. Awesome. And part of the reason he wanted to do that was to, help dispel rumors and stereotypes about deaf people.
0: Why aren't actors being selected that can actually then represent these people in society? So it's great that even back in 1988 yeah. that this has happened.
1: Yeah, and there was also, I read that there was a very different ending originally written, and where Riva where would actually learn to speak, Howie Go suggested the ending that they they ended up going with and he like suggested it like the day before they shot it he was like oh let's do this instead
0: instead of the you have to be fixed ending you want to i know you want to touch on that point later on. yeah
1: i'll I'll bring it up now that a really great episode of a podcast that i think i've mentioned at least once probably more than once the podcast is called our opinions are correct it's hosted by charlie jane anders and Annalie newitz and it is about uh, science fiction science the world a lot of stuff Back in November, they had an episode called uh, Why Does Science Fiction Keep Wanting to Fix Disabled People? And I mean, we'll get into that here, but I do think that part of what is going on in this episode, this chorus that Reva has is, you know, an an adaptive aid, but it doesn't change the fact that he is deaf. It doesn't sort of circumnavigate his deafness. Sorry, the episode is called Science Fiction Keeps Trying to Fix Disabled People. And fix is in quotation marks.
0: Right. Riva explains that the gene for hearing is not present in the planet's ruling line. Kind of like the House of Hanover, who all had hemophilia, or the leaders of Fendaos Five, who don't have limbs.
1: This method of communication where he has where the, there's a chorus who translates Riva's thoughts and, and can sense them, that this has been done for centuries and their ancestors translated for Riva's ancestors. And it's just, just a, a reality. It's just part of how this society functions. And Troy comments that it is an elegant and beautiful method of communication. And then she points out that the warrior part of Riva doesn't speak Very often. And Riva says only when the spirit moves him, which uh, I think seems to be happening every time he's talking to Troy.
0: Ooh, ooh, some (laughs) passion and libido maybe going on there. So they beam up to the Enterprise and the ship starts to head to Soleil's 5. Riva, the chorus, and the away team arrive on the bridge. And Picard quickly explains to everybody else who the chorus is. Yes. Riva says it's an honor to be on board such a fine vessel. Picard introduces them to the various crew members. And as he's doing the introductions, Riva teach like, touches each of them on their chest, basically to make a connection to that yeah. person. I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, he calls Data unique. Then he notices LaForge's visor and sort of realizes that it serves the same function as his chorus. There's a nice moment between the two of them. One thing that came up in that episode of Our Opinions Are Correct is that LaForge so we have his visor as sort of like this knowledge that he is blind we never we don't really see him like he doesn't hang out with a dis you know a, a disabled community or he doesn't have other there there, there isn't a whole lot of disability that we see on the enterprise so I did think it was nice to have this connection like Riva says that he's really happy to see that LaForge is the chief of chief of engineering right he's got a position of leadership on the enterprise and I actually thought there was a moment where where Reva asks if LaForge resents either the visor or being blind. And LaForge says that they're both a part of who he is. And he says, I really like who I am. So there's no reason to resent either one. That to me sounded like LeVar Burton. Like it sounded like that was something LeVar Burton could say.
0: Kind of a Reading Rainbow kind of way.
1: Almost. Or even like yeah. like just the way he he talks about himself and his experience on so I listened to his podcast LeVar Burton Reads and just no this is a part of who I am I don't need to resent right. it because I like who I am so
0: I feel like that that's some informed writing there where it's not like oh like I wish I would I wish I could see mm-hmm. but this is what I have in the meantime yeah kind of thing and so Riva Re- seems happy to meet someone with in an important position who has the disabilities? You're saying, and then they both they both touch each other's chest. Yeah, like they both put their hands on each other's chest, and I was like, "That's so cool!" Like they let Jordy, yeah. be disabled, and and they let him talk about it, and it and because so often I feel like they just throw on the visor, and it's just we just forget about it. It doesn't really come up in a lot of storylines. It yeah. was really a part of the character's identity, really, ever.
1: It does feel sometimes like he and and this also came up in that episode that he isn't really blind. Because he's got his visor. So the he's, writers yeah. can write without having to take his disability into consideration unless it fits the storyline.
0: Yeah, because we visually have checked that box yeah. off. Like you see the visor and so we've accounted for yeah. it. Picard says it'll have a briefing on the Solari Wars and asks if Reva wants to go to his quarters. Reva wants to take Troy with him. So she goes with him and the warrior. And the other two stay.
1: <laughs> it's a little funny to me. Like, wouldn't you want... So, I mean, the reason Reza, Reva wants Troy to go with him, he basically, he says like, oh, maybe you can walk me to my quarters, which is a yeah. little bit not super professional. Doesn't strike me as...
0: Yeah, even even the initial conversation that they had when they first met, when he's like, oh, there's another empath here and and everything else. It's, it's very out of the open. But he's a very expressive person. And I get that, but I you're you're right. Yeah. She's a professional on the ship. She's a, a counselor on the ship. And so to kind of be asked out basically in front of everybody is kind of...
1: What if she didn't want to do that?
0: Right. Yeah, you're put on the spot. Yeah.
1: And the other thing that I thought was a bit weird was like the Harmony member of the chorus says, at times like these, you know, we just sort of become an encumbrance. So, and but like... I don't know. When I am romantically interested in someone, I like to bring my whole self to that, not just my libido and passionate side.
0: No, no, there will be no logic be or no harmony logic, in this no conversation. Art, no just, beauty, just, just, no, wisdom. just libido and passion.
1: I want to point out that this is the first romantic encounter we're seeing of the season. Last season, we talked a little bit about tracking some of it, and there were really only like four instances of romantic encounters or sexual encounters, which I think is honestly kind of refreshing.
0: What I would be interested to know by the time we get to the end is how many episodes that are focused on a particular crew member, especially if they are a woman, have to be of a romantic nature. And I feel like that often happens to Troy. Well,
1: this is, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to to track it, was to sort of look at that. And what we've got so far, just in season one, so there was uh, Naked Now had Tasha Yar and Data hook up. (laughs) Then we had uh, Haven, where Troy was to be married to Wyatt Miller, and she decided she wanted to go with that, but then that didn't end up happening. He married someone else instead. Right. There was the the Biner episode, where Riker fell in love with Minuet on the holodeck, and then there was Angel One, where Riker, and we talked a little bit about this at the time, where Riker had, um, he sleeps with Beata, but it felt we, we were both a little uncomfortable with that because it felt very coerced
0: and none of them really up until now have been like a love story episode no
1: though. and this one no. it's not even a massive not even
0: really yet yeah. no we, we kind of get more to those later but i feel like especially with troy and i may be biased in this and so i have to wait till we kind of go through all the series again but i feel like often we don't see story center on her as a character unless she's a love interest i think you're right We go to their quarters now and Riva comments that what he and Troy do is similar in helping people examine their feelings and also says that being with Troy is bringing up new emotions as well. And so Troy asks what Riva is feeling because she can't sense all of it.
1: Yeah, and she can, I think like part of Troy's character is that she's, her mom is Betazoid, so she inherited some ability to read feelings, but she can't read minds because her dad's human.
0: I feel like that this they go back and forth on what beta zeds can or can't read. Yeah. Like, yeah. anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but. So Reva feels that he wants to have dinner with her after the briefing and Troy says that she would like that. But then she kind of wants to know if they're going to basically have three people in this dinner. Like she wants to know if the warrior has to be with them because she wants more privacy.
1: I think that that's a complicated moment. There are people who have disabilities that require them to have someone who attends to certain needs, right? You know, you might have a an, an, an attendant or a care person. There is ableism in saying, no, I don't want that person to be with us. I want to hang out with just you. I don't want you to be able to have the the support that you need or the the care that you need while we're together.
0: I understand why she has asked that, but you're right in that in the in that way she is preventing him from being able to communicate the way that he would normally communicate. Yeah,
1: yeah, like yeah. you know, you wouldn't say to a person like, "Well, we can, I'll go out with you, but you're not allowed to wear your hearing aids." Like that would not be okay, right?
0: Right, yeah. So in, in so from his point of view, that well, that is what that would be. Like. I think so. Right? But for her, she's like. What if I want to be more intimate with you, yeah. and it would be awkward, maybe, if this person's here? So they, but you're right. It, there's a dimension there to it. He's empathetic of that, mm-hmm. like he's understanding where she's coming from. But yeah, back in the observation lounge, a briefing begins, and Data says the Solari are historical enemies. Both societies on the verge of extinction because of war. I think
1: it's something like fifteen hundred years they've been fighting. Like it's like a, a long very, time, very long time.
0: They don't really get into why, but Riva says that he doesn't need any more information on the background. He's like, it doesn't matter. The conflict is not, is either over land or wealth or some other tangible asset. Uh, but that is not the true cause of war. So we don't know what the background is, but he doesn't want to know what it is either because he's basically like the the nuances of, of the details of what initiated the conflict after all this time aren't going to matter anymore. He's looking at it more from like a healing the rifts between people.
1: Yeah, which I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, that they've been fighting for so long that it has become personal. So the basis of peace must also be personal. Now, I got a sense from here that that might have been a little presumptuous or maybe arrogant. What do you think?
1: There is at this point and it comes up Riker and Picard kind of discuss that Riva is very self-assured. He he mentions that he has always been able to figure something out. No so far he has never failed to mediate peace. So he's kind of like, "Nope, what you know doesn't matter. I'm just going to do my thing." And then it comes up later that he's like, "I was arrogant. I thought I thought I could do anything and it turns out I can't. Right. You know that's that's important. I do think that forcing the two the two factions to go into the history of the war maybe that wouldn't be productive to finding yeah. peace, but it couldn't hurt for Riva to know that. I I think. I suppose it could kind of create a bias where you think, oh, well, this side was the one who initially started it 15 centuries ago. So maybe then you'd be on the side of the other faction.
0: The reason for the conflict, yes, it could be war or land or whatever, but people still have very personal connections to some of those things. And so in a way, I felt like this is maybe a... An uncomplicated way of understanding why conflict happens at all. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons why kind of going back to our original check-in on the invasion in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is It is tragic. There is also a lot of history there between those two countries. Yeah. And I don't feel like I could just fully dismiss that before speaking to the war with any knowledge. This is the kind of stuff that I wanted to look into if I were going to be a mediator in this conflict, I would want to know more of that history. Yes. Reva is saying that that is not important right now. So he, what he wants to know is why after 15 centuries of war, the factions now want peace. Nobody knows. Riker thinks, kind of in jest, that maybe they've run out of people to kill.
1: Then Reva's kind of like, well, if we don't know that... Well, that's okay too. I'll find something. The fact that they do want peace. And again, I think this is an important part of it that both sides are looking for peace and that is what will make this possible it wouldn't be possible if it was just one side looking for peace one
0: side look for peace and it, and you mentioned that earlier when we were doing our kind of preamble to this episode yeah. is that with with the ukraine russia conflict it does seem like very much that is no, not there's the case
1: one side right that now. does not seem to want peace there's
0: one side that definitely is not interested in peace so you have zelensky basically saying hey like let's stop this like let's bring in peace talks let's stop this conflict and the other side is just like no yeah and so you're, you're gonna have a really hard time mediating piece if one side is not interested. When I worked on campus at Simon Fraser University, and you'd have a conflict between students, we had we could have a mediated process where you'd actually bring students in to talk to one another about harm that was right. done to each other to the community, uh, restorative justice. Yeah. But if one side was unwilling to have that conversation, it was actually more harmful to try to force it. Yeah. Because one side would be like vulnerable and open to conversation, and the other side would just be like, "No, we're not interested." And and as, as Riva says, peace is impossible in that kind. Of situation it's it's both sides need to want peace. so why
1: and then riva's basically like okay well i got what i need if you don't have anything else i'm gonna go for my dinner date and picard's like uh no that's <laughs> that's fine we were this this briefing was for you so if you right. don't need it but i guess it's over and actually like riva and his chorus all leave like before picard is done talking <laughs> And so then this is when Riker is like, oh, wow, he's uh, he's really self-assured.
0: He's very self-assured and, and he is. He he has never failed. That's part of his history as a mediator. He has never failed at bringing yeah. about peace.
1: Which, you know, in itself is interesting and it's it's hard when you've never failed because, you know, the when the first time you fail is like really far into doing something, it's You know, you don't know how to deal with failure. You don't know how to cope with it.
0: Especially if it's catastrophic, as as we might see, as we may see. So we have a romantic dinner with Troy, and and Reva comments that he can feel the sound of the ship moving through his body like a great pulse. Troy mentions that she's grown so accustomed to it that she forgets that it's there. And then, again, with the warrior, Troy kind of looks at the warrior. And at this point, Reva kind of dismisses the, the warrior and then Troy asks how they can communicate in his absence. And then Reva says, well, he can read lips uh, and he also can do sign.
1: Troy doesn't know this, like she doesn't know sign language, but she's they're able to sort of, I think, partly telepathically and then partly with Reva kind of slowly signing certain things. He says that the words are on top. It's what's under them their meaning that's important and they agree that you know what's important is like how they can express themselves and and the two of them being together right now that's important and that's special that's more important and special or special than the words
0: is the character using asl in the episode
1: what i read was that asl is used in this episode i don't know if it's used in that particular scene but that is how we see go uh Uses ASL.
0: The ship approaches Solaeus 5 and Worf reads that there is laser activity. More with lasers, lasers season. again. season. Lasers happening on the surface. So apparently the ceasefire is has been broken because there's fire happening on the surface. Picard hails the surface and says that if they continue to violate the ceasefire, he will abort the mission. Yeah. And says that Riva is in charge of the summit, but he won't put his ship as danger. And the Solari are upset that someone else is talking to them because they're like, we've only agreed to talk to Riva where is Riva? Riva promised yeah. it would only be him. They're
1: like, who's breaking the rules now? I
0: don't know how they, they equate those two things, shooting at each other or talking to a different person. Well,
1: that actually, oh, that's interesting because that is something that, well, to bring this back to, to masks, which you were talking about earlier in our check-in, this idea of right. like, well, some people have their lives saved by people wearing masks and other people find masks annoying. So,
0: Inconvenience. you know, who, how do we
1: balance these two things? Clearly, one is much a much stronger need than the other. Right. Yeah. Similarly, you know, <laughs> shooting and talking perhaps are not exactly the same. But I do. I think one thing it does speak to is that these people are very distrusting and are very nervous.
0: Yeah, they are very nervous about one another and about the process. Riva comes to the bridge. Yeah. We see a demonstration now of his ability to resolve conflict, at least even in, right in, in just in a moment, because as he comes to the bridge, he thinks he can resolve the broken ceasefire. And Riva tells the factions that they are brave fighters, but now they must demonstrate courage in a new way by ceasing their hostilities so that they can meet because if they don't seize hostilities, they're not going to have this opportunity to. And they read from the Enterprise that the laser fire has ceased.
1: Yeah, I I really love that because this idea that courage isn't just fighting. Courage is also having that vulnerability to stop fighting and to, to meet. And we talked about this several episodes ago, I think in season one, when we had the other Klingons on board the, the ship, that bravery is... Can be about vulnerability. It's not just you know feats of physical strength and firepower. Yeah,
0: and and like thumping your chest yeah. and throwing rocks and stuff. Reva says that he needs a topographical map to pick out a good place to meet, and he wants a small bridge away team with little security so they don't add to an already tense situation. So Reva, the chorus, wharf, and Riker beam down, and Reva tells Riker they won't need phasers, but
1: Riker brings them anyway.
0: Reva says that they need torches and a three-sided table made to resemble the indigenous rock, and that the first few minutes will be tense, so to stay calm, don't respond, even if provoked. (laughs) Riker says that they will do their best. Yeah, he doesn't promise. (laughs) But but he is there with Worf. We've got Riker and
1: Worf here, neither of whom are, (laughs) like, that great with the impulse control. They
0: asked Jordy to provide the rock, so this is cool. They could just, like, basically tie into the replicator, I'm guessing. Create a rock table that's similar to the indigenous rock and then beam it down. Yeah. So that uh, you have both sides and then Reva. So it's the three sides of the table. And then the factions arrive. Yeah.
1: So Reva introduces himself and he commends them and says they're courageous and wise to be there. And he also says that he doesn't have any magic. He, you know, this isn't something that he can just wave a wand and he's going to, there's going to be peace. But he says, let's give this conference a chance. And then. So the person from one of the factions who was not there for the conversation on the view screen gets really angry, and I think it's important that Worf also reaches for his phaser here. So he actually does. Clearly, he's nervous and he wants to protect his people and Riva. He's not necessarily showing this calm approach that Riva wants to take. And so then the the this angry person goes to shoot at Riva, but Riker pulls him out of the way and. I don't think it can be said just how shocking it is that the chorus is just vaporized.
0: I even remember watching this as a kid. It's intense because it's not like sometimes in Star Trek, people are shot, like sparks just kind of come out of them and they fall to the ground. Or when they get vaporized, they just kind of like vanish. When they get shot, like part of their skin disappears first and you can see their bones and stuff it's an intense vaporization and it's like ah that stands out in my mind as a kid from one of those more shocking scenes and it's
1: all three of them at once too. they're
0: all killed and so they they disappear so they transport back up to the ship the person from the same faction so they're part of the same faction and one of them turns to the guy who shot and shoots him and then is yelling up to the sky, and he's like, "No, no, no! I'm the one who didn't want peace. I'm the one who called for negotiation." So there's been like an internal conflict on one of the sides yeah. that has now sabotaged the peace conference.
1: It's scary and also very sad.
0: Yeah, it's scary and tragic and and sad.
1: On the observation lounge, Riva is signing, and he's clearly in distress. And Picard says, "I can't understand what you're saying." So Troy asks him to slow down. Right. And Picard says. I'm very sorry. I'm so sorry that your friends were killed. And, you know, wants to know what happened. And Riker says it was a total surprise. You know, there's just one person there who didn't want peace. But it's just everyone's really frustrated because they can't understand each other.
0: I can imagine how hard that would be because you're in this state where you have so much emotion going on and all your way to express yourself has been removed.
1: Yes. And your emotion is in many ways about that removal it's not just that his chorus but like these people who he's who he was so close with have yeah. been killed yeah picard says okay data you figure out which sign language riva is using and learn it and then he says troy take riva to pulaski i don't know what he thinks pulaski can do but he says maybe she can help so and then there's this not cool bit where he grabs Reva's head and yells at him. And the thing he says to him is an important thing to say. He says, you are not alone. We are all in this together now. And he holds Reva's hand. Yeah, the grabbing of the head and screaming in his face, I thought, was...
0: Yeah, he can't hear you.
1: Yeah, and that's not... You don't grab a person's head, right? Like. Yeah,
0: you don't grab people and you don't yell at people who can't hear anyway. It's like you just... That's your own frustration yeah. coming through. Yeah, that so wasn't great. it's... It's not, yeah, it's kind of an icky thing. Like, I love the part they get to where he's holding Reva's hand and telling him, like, we're not, like, you are not alone. We are all in this together. Yeah. And so the sentiment is beautiful. For sure. But it's expressed in this frustrated way. Yeah. It spoils the moment, basically.
1: I Maybe this isn't done as much now, but I feel like there used to be a thing where, like, you know, this person is really frustrated and they're kind of spiraling in their own thoughts. And so, you know, you just need to shake them out of it. Snap yeah, them out of it. and yeah. Th- that doesn't really work. You can't snap someone out of frustration by shocking them, I don't think. Or it's certainly not in a kind, trauma-informed way.
0: No, and I this is Picard probably responding to his own anxiety about the situation yeah, as well. but
1: you're right. I, I totally agree that it's it's icky, and it it spoils the moment.
0: The military activity on Soleil's 5 starts to increase. Picard is worried that without Riva, peace won't be possible. So back on the bridge, Data is learning sign languages. And Worf comments that a silent and covert communication system could be very useful. So Worf is looking at sign language and being One like, oh, we could use mind. that as a weapon. One-track mind. Data says that gestures and hand signals predate spoken word in most cultures, except for the mentions of the Lerons of Melchus Nine who developed writing That's first.
1: That's so interesting to me.
0: I'm not sure about language development in our own culture. That might be very true as well. So Troy and Pulaski, they enter the ready room, and Troy says that Riva is very frightened and has been in control his entire life. And as you said, he hasn't really experienced a major failure before. Yeah,
1: this is the first time. Pulaski, and this I think again connects to this idea of science fiction trying to fix disability, that Pulaski says his condition is hereditary. His brain cannot receive auditory information. So there's nothing I can do. You know, what can I do to to fix this disability? What can I do to make it so that he can hear? The other thing that I was thinking of was like, you know, at this point, he's in what his like 30s, 40s, like if he's gone this entire time, not being able to hear if Pulaski was able to do something, there would still be a long way for him to like, learn how to then interpret that, right? I don't think- Yeah, you're
0: picking up a whole new sense. Yeah,
1: I, anyway, it's, it was interesting to me because I kind of wondered if they would have written this scene differently if Crusher had been the doctor. I don't know that they would have done that. Something about her character, I don't think she would have said, either I can fix it or there's nothing I can do. Troy, she, she uses a phrase that I don't...
0: It's also not sh- clear. Yeah, she
1: says that she's not sure how we can help him. He has stopped cooperating. He is in shock. Th- these people who have been, I would say, a part of his family have just died. And he is now on his own.
0: Cooperating is is not the right word to use no. there. It would have been more apt to say something like, he's become withdrawn. Yeah. And I can't engage with him anymore. Even
1: like, I can't engage with him right now.
0: Right like, now, yeah. Th-
1: give it time, maybe. Give it a couple days.
0: So he's lost confidence in himself. And that, like she says, that can't easily be given to another yeah, person. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So now enters Data and he has learned five signing languages. And starts to give a demonstration. And he's like, here's a person walking on a beach. Here's a person walking with a sunrise on a beach. Here are two <laughs> people walking along. And of course, Picard at this point's like, okay, thank you, Dana. <laughs> I get that you've learned the language. I I, I have confidence in your yeah. ability to learn very let's quickly. Go he's talk like, to and he literally like grabs Dana by the shoulders, like turns him around, and he's like, let's go out the door yeah. and head to go see. <laughs> like, oh,
1: Dana's gonna be doing this for a long time if I don't stop yeah. him. And I would like to say, I think it's a little different. Picard grabbing Data because they already have a relationship and he didn't grab Data by the head. So they go to the observation lounge and Data interprets for Riva. And so Riva says that he feels responsible for the death of his chorus and he was arrogant to think that no one could harm him.
0: Initially there was the shock and anger and now he's feeling guilt.
1: And Picard says that that Riva is not to blame. This was just one person's actions. And I think that both of those things can be true. I think that yes, Riva was as Riker pointed out, very self-assured, perhaps he had an inflated sense of what he was capable of as a mediator, and it's that doesn't mean it's his fault.
0: Riva also says that the chorus were his friends. He hadn't realized how much of a part of him they were until now that they have they have departed, right? So they're not just like a mouthpiece, but they're also these people that have been a part of his life, as you were saying. Picard says the factions want to renew negotiations, and Riva says, well, I can't. Like, my all my tools are gone. I, I, I'm i no longer of use, is yeah. that how he's feeling. But
1: I also think there's a piece of it where he's like... I'm not in a good space to negotiate peace right now because my friends were just killed.
0: He's like, yo, can I have a break? Yeah, for this? and
1: Troy, so there's a bit where Troy tells him like not to turn away. you know, we can make some good come of this tragedy, but Riva says, I can't be the one to do it. and And so what he says is that when data speaks for him, data can't communicate what he's feeling the same way that his chorus could. He calls Data a fine machine, but I interpreted his problem with Data's interpretation. To me, it wasn't that Data was an android. To me, it was that Data wasn't able to attune himself to Reva's thoughts the way the chorus was.
0: It's exactly the opposite. The chorus was intimately connected to Reva telepathically, but also empathically. Yes. And Data can't do either of those things. So even if Data were telepathic, he also can't process... Reva's emotions because Data himself doesn't experience those kinds of emotions.
1: I didn't feel as much of like when people talk about Data and oh, he's just a robot or whatever. I didn't feel as much of that there.
0: No, I don't. I don't feel like it was a slight. I think it was just sort of a matter of fact. And I I think what they're trying to show is that. Reva is in this situation now where it it's even though Data is assisting him it's like it's kind of exacerbating the fact that he had these people before that had these abilities that Data doesn't have. Yeah. So even though Data could be an interpreter with the gestural language all the things that these other people had Data is not capable of. Yeah. And again it, and and that isn't to say that he's not a fine machine yeah. because that's what, what Reva's saying but he wasn't designed for this task.
1: Reva says I want to go back to my home planet and Picard says well, then a lot more people are going to die. And I, I just don't think that they are showing Reva perhaps the kindness and compassion that he needs right now.
0: No, in fact, he actually, when, when Picard says that, Reva's just like, fine. It just kind of walks yeah. out of the room because it is a fairly insensitive thing to say. And Picard is, being Picard, he kind of speaks very literal about the situations and what's happening. but He
1: could have been a little more sensitive, yeah.
0: he Yeah, sometimes Picard lacks sensitivity yeah. in that sense. I think he gets better as time goes on. But this is an early season two yeah. card. He's a little bit more yeah. rough around the edges, let's say, pointed, pointed.
1: Yeah, so then we go to sick Bay and we get this interesting scene between Pulaski and LaForge where Pulaski is examining something to do with LaForge's visor. He has his visor off, and she says to him that it would be possible to give him optical devices that would look like normal eyes and give him almost the same visual range as the visor, about a 20% reduction. And then she says she could also attempt to regenerate his optic nerve and then replicate eyes so that he could see the way everyone else
0: sees. LaForge thinks that that wasn't possible, because that's, that's what he has been told in the past, that was impossible possible to do. But Pulaski says that she's done it twice and tells him it would eliminate the constant pain that he's in. This is a thing that used to be a concurrent theme around Jordy's visor is that it did give him the ability to see, but that he would get these headaches. Right,
1: and that was in the first episode as well. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't think this scene would have been written this way with Crusher. I don't think she would have done that because LaForge says, I just came in here to see if you could modify something to do with my visor. Like, he didn't come in and say, is there anything else that you can do for me? She just kind of suggested it. Pulaski says, if you like this this thing that I'm suggesting with replicating eyes for you if you try it and it turns out you don't like it we can't go back the the visor won't work right. not totally sure why and also there are there are risks associated with it but again she is not trying to improve his quality of life as it is right now her focus seems to solely be I can fix your disability. Yeah,
0: in fact, like his vision will be worse.
1: Yeah, but but more normal. I
0: can make you more normal. Yeah. That's the point. And so he's he's thoughtful and he says that it'll get back to her. because. But when he hears that he will have the same range of vision and therefore be as helpful to the crew, he's kind of turned off by the idea. That was the impression I got. That
1: was, and also just like this, he has gotten used to living his life this way. Right. He's not necessarily looking to... Shake it up. It was something, another, again, to bring, go back to that podcast, where they were interviewing someone named Elsa Hoonison, who is a deafblind author. They asked her, imagine your ideal 100 years in the future. What will the world and disability look like? And what she said was that architecture will have changed and the U.S. will have universal health care. So she wasn't like, we will have eliminated all disability. right and she she talks about that seems to be what science fiction wants to do is eliminate disability but she's she said you know we would make the world a better place for people with disabilities rather than get rid of disabilities entirely not
0: at all in the same Level, but in a similar vein, when they talked about Picard wearing a hairpiece, right? Yes, they were like, "Well, in the future, we will have cured baldness." Yeah, and then and Gene Roddenberry said, was, "No," or it was Gene Roddenberry was like, "No, no, in the future, we won't care about that yeah. kind of stuff anymore." Yes, yeah.
1: that's exactly it's
0: not, not that baldness is a no, and but. it's
1: it's not. You're right; it's not it's not at all the same like thing. <laughs> but I think it's a similar attitude. That we, mm-hmm. we don't need to fix people. We need to fix society.
0: So they're back in Riva's quarters and Troy and, and Data enter and Troy says that, that they will take him back to Rheumatis, but she is first going to try to settle the conflict on her own. And she says that they've they've already come this far and they've paid such a terrible price, and she needs to try and basically wants his help. This is her way to try to re-engage him in his his
1: yeah, I don't I don't think she actually wants to do this on her own. I think she's just no. saying.
0: It might be a bit coercive, yeah. I suppose. Because I think she figures he'll be worried about her, yeah. her safety. So it's going to draw him back in.
1: Yeah. And then Riva says, he's like, no, I can't help. There's nothing I can do. And I, th- I mean, I think what he's saying is like, the methods that I usually use didn't work. I tried to get them to listen to each other. They didn't. And I don't know what to do when they don't work. If you always succeed on your first try you develop fewer tools than if you fail once in a while but she says like i've never done anything like this before like she's like she's a counselor she counsels people she isn't a mediator
0: and there might be some transferable skill there for But sure. like it's the risk is so high yeah for failure so reva says well there's you can do it and i think he's implying he's like well you can do it because there's no trick or there's no magic And the chorus allowed him to combine different perceptions together. A place for to start is to try to find something common to both groups and then begin a process where one side could express themselves to the other. And Troy says, well, that's, you know, that's like a really hard thing to do. And he says, well, the hardest part is to get each side to really listen to the other and to try to understand. And Reva says, and you can do that. You're good with people. This is where the linchpin in this conversation mm-hmm. happens. And I, or this is where the focus of the conversation turns to the the themes of the story because he says to her, the real secret is in turning disadvantage into advantage. And then she's got him because then she <laughs> says, well, why can't you do that now? And all of a sudden he's like, whoa. Yeah.
1: And he's like, well, that is interesting. And he says, that would give them something in common. And data is like totally clueless. And as a viewer, having not seen this episode in a while, I was pretty clueless as well. I didn't understand what was going to happen. But Troy kind of waves him away. Doesn't matter. Data's the interpreter. He doesn't need to understand everything. Reva kisses Troy and then says thank you to Data and then Data translates the thank you and then realizes it's for him. And that's a nice a nice moment, I thought.
0: That was like an outrageous Lakota moment. Right <laughs> yeah, so it thank was. You. It oh, thank was. oh, thank me. Thank me. me. Ah, yes. <laughs> You're okay. thanking Got me. It.
1: <laughs> and then, uh, so then Reva and Troy and Data and Worf and Riker beam down to the planet. This time, Reva doesn't make any comment about the phaser. Yeah, he's like,
0: bring as many phasers. Yeah, as
1: he's can. like, apparently <laughs> they are needed, I guess. They go... To the planet, Riva asks for the table and they light the torches to show that he has returned. And Riker says it might take a while for the emissaries to arrive uh, this time. They might be more cautious after what has just happened. Riva says, it's okay, you can go and I'll, I'll let you know when I'm ready to return. And it seems at this point they haven't really explained the plan. So Troy now explains to Riker that what's going to happen is Riva is going to teach both sides to sign. And Reva explains that this is how he can turn a disadvantage into an advantage that while they are learning to communicate with him, they will also learn to communicate with each other. And that is the most important step in creating peace.
0: I think that's awesome. Yeah. I love that part. Like it, it's it's one of those things that has that kind of Star Trek hope to it. Right. Where it's like, no, I think this would be a way that we could show that people would be able to to, we take this idea in the show about communication and we apply it to the society like no we're all going to learn how to work together how to communicate together and it's got that like right amount of hopefulness that makes it so appealing and I love it I think it's great
1: yeah I, I've started recently to see a lot more value in things that are aspirational in nature mm-hmm. like okay, yes. maybe this exact tactic wouldn't work but what are the broader implications of it when we think of any sort of any problem in the world just to maybe shake it up. I'll talk about climate change now. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> whether we are able to actually like lower the temperature by the right number of degrees, maybe we can't. But if we try to, we'll still be better off than if we don't try. So it's not a, it's not a, a we, it's, it's, not, it's not all or nothing. It's not we have to, we have to either succeed fully or we shouldn't bother trying. There's always benefit in the attempt.
0: I love what you said there about it it the point of it is to be aspirational yeah. not necessarily realistic let's yeah. say in that sense. And that was, the, that was the part about Star Trek we love. And actually, there was, a, I'm paraphrasing now, There Michael Okuda, who's who's one of the set designers and, and graphic designers for, for Star Trek, basically made L-cars, the Akudograms, as they call it. So all like the way the ship panels look in Star Trek The Next Generation and stuff, that was all created by uh, Michael Okuda. But he had a tweet a few days ago that he put out on Twitter about Star Trek. Mm. He said the point of Star Trek wasn't to show this is how utopia will be, but it was to provide something that we could strive toward Mm -hmm. it's it is that aspiration and i think when people miss that the only response is well or one of the one of the possible responses is well that that's not realistic so i guess we have to create something that's more cynical yeah because if it's more cynical that's more realistic and only then can we appreciate what's happening in the show And like no, that's that's that aspiration still has value in it. even if, yeah, you probably maybe not actually could like stop a war by having two people learn sign language. but the aspiration of that moment and the themes that are there are really important.
1: Yeah. And I think that you know there are sometimes times where it's necessary to sort of temper your expectations and to say, okay, like I'm I'm not going in here saying I'm gonna everything's gonna be totally perfect. We should always be aiming high, right? We should, always yes. be, we should always be trying to do the best we possibly can. That way, if we don't, you know, then we'll, we'll, still, we'll still do pretty darn good, I think.
0: I think. Maybe we'll yeah. land among the stars. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah.
1: Right? Reva and Troy acknowledge that this will take a long time, but it will be worth it. Reva thanks Troy for for all that she's done for him. And then the away team beam up and they leave Riva there and he's totally on his own and he's waiting for the emissaries. And it's interesting to me that the ship leaves. Like, was that the idea that they were just going to drop Riva and his chorus off and then leave and come back like in a few months or whatever.
0: There's like, no plan. I don't
1: know. Maybe there is, because I guess I guess the factions requested Riva, so maybe they've got some accommodations for him or hey, does
0: he have food yeah. and like somewhere to sleep and yeah. stuff? I hope so. But anyway, Anyways. yeah.
1: I guess also perhaps to go back to our interdependence topic that he is on his own there, but he's not totally on his own because there are people right. on this planet who who want him there, who probably will you know, will provide him with with whatever he needs. And then we have this nice last scene in the ready room where Picard is again looking at that model of the I orbit. I go back to
0: that and I'm still like, is there, what's visual here I am know, I missing? Is there it's
1: significance like, that I'm not getting?
0: Is like the one planet is out of place? And like, I don't know if he was going to be like, look, it's, its orbit has shifted and it is now in the proper alignment <laughs> with the other planet. I'm like, I don't know. like, So I don't know why this model is in the episode. But anyway.
1: Yeah, so Troy walks in and there's a really sweet, exchange where Picard says like I know you can read me well enough to know how much I appreciate all the work you do for me and for the crew and for the ship but I just want to say the words and he says thank you and well done and that is important. It's one of the
0: few times we'll hear this for (laughs) Troy unfortunately. Yeah yeah. But it is a very nice moment and I wish I wish Troy got more thanks for what she does around the ship because she does a lot for the crew of the enterprise and in preventing conflict or navigating conflict
1: yeah it's it's a it's a nice moment and i also think the idea that just because matthew you know that i appreciate you but but it probably doesn't hurt when i say it every once in a while so
0: oh, well, you know like you. i appreciate you thank too thank you
1: yeah cuz and it's it's that it's a similar thing like troy can read Picard, you know, there isn't even that guesswork. She can read that he appreciates her, but it's it's meaningful for him to say the words.
0: Just like with staff and employers. Yes, you do pay your staff, but it's also nice to tell them that they are appreciated yeah. and valued. Yeah. And thank you all yes, so much we appreciate as well, you. <laughs> audience. We appreciate you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice.
1: That can be how you tell us that Tell you us. appreciate
0: That we appre- we are appreciated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at First Link Pod, or send us an email, just like we said at the beginning, at FirstLinkPod at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. I'm Ruthie.
0: And I'm Matthew. And remember... Star Trek past or present, representation has always mattered.